0: Greetings, race community, Brent, coming in live with today's guest, Jake Logan, who serves as Vice President for Institutional Advancement at the University of Texas at El Paso, and Annie Quadi, who is the Associate Vice President of Advancement Strategy and Engagement at the University of Texas at El Paso. Welcome to you both. Why, thank you.
1: Thanks, Brent. Happy to be here.
0: Well, where is here, Annie? Why don't you just start there? Because that is part of why we are here today. (laughs)
1: sure yeah i am uh logging in from harrisburg missouri just a little bit outside of columbia missouri um working for the university of texas at el Paso. so that's
0: a sentence nobody would have uttered a few years ago but here we are uh thanks for sharing and we're excited to to learn more and uh you know that is the catalyst folks we had a really uh, nice engagement on linkedin recently just around remote work, which which candidly is a, it's kind of a sensitive topic right now because uh, I shared an article just around uh, personally at Evertrue as we've been continuing to grow remotely. Um, There was a survey recently that indicated uh, women in particular were really highlighting the importance of flexibility. and, And that is something that I've experienced with our team. I've seen it just transform uh, the 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 work experience, but it also is not easy in higher ed. And I actually got a call recently from a from a foundation CEO who I respect a lot that a lot of people listening would know. And he said, "Hey Brent, really appreciate what you're trying to do, but not loving all the content you're sharing about remote work. It's kind of rubbing us the wrong way as leaders. Would like you to maybe stay in your lane a little bit more and talk about the donor experience. But it's hard for us when." we're on a college campus and we've got different policies and approaches and we're seeing everything you're sharing uh, and we don't feel like we can embrace it the same way. So that's the setup. It was hard for me to hear that because I'm thinking, well, on one hand, I believe this, but on the other hand, I need to do a good job stewarding these relationships and I'm not trying to upset people. So Jake, you're in that same position. You're uh, a leader uh, navigating this like everybody else. And just tell me about the last few years and, how I've gotten to this this point. Yeah, so uh,
2: I started here in May of 2020. So two months into the pandemic, or not even two months into the pandemic. And I spent the first year and a half in this room here in my house. Um, I had not for a year, year and a half, met most of the people on the team in person and more than half of the cabinet in person. And, and so we, we were all trying to do the same thing. It was very early on in the pandemic and we were all going through that same kind of thing together where immediately we all had to start working from home. We all had to figure out where in our house we could work, um, how, how to get our, our setup um, put together in a way that, that was effective. Uh, I think a lot of people were scared. And I, you know, it was a shared experience. We were all going through this really hard thing together and, you know, clearly it was difficult for, for the obvious reasons, but I do think there's, there's a real benefit that came from it. You know, gone were the days where people were complaining about Judy who took the last bit of coffee out of the coffee pot and didn't make a new one or, you know, whatever other kinds mean,
0: what was she thinking?
2: I know, I know. Judy always does that. Um, but, uh, uh, by the way, there's a woman in our office called Judy, and she's never done that as far as I know. That's not who I was thinking. It was just a random name. But but we were all going through this thing together, and everybody wanted to work because I think everybody wanted to keep their jobs with great uncertainty. We didn't know what things were going to look like. And, and there were some really wonderful pieces because I think it allowed us the opportunity to see our coworkers not as co-workers, but as the humans they were, right? Every one of us saw you know the shirtless husband in the background going to the fridge to get the beer the cat walking across the keyboard the dogs barking at the ups guy as a matter of fact one of my very first meetings with the university president my son came through that door in his underwear playing his nintendo switch and you know we're in the middle of the meeting and of course she drops everything and says hi mills you know starts talking to him um that was so humanizing and I think it was so important for us to see each other that way. And then there were the hardest part, harder parts too, because we saw each other got sick when we got sick right in front of you, right right in front of one another. Um, or when, you know, where people were going through loss and their families. And I, I truly believe that that brought us together in a way that nothing, nothing could have. Um, I hope we don't lose that special moment that we got from it. Right. Um, And so, you know, here I am starting a new job trying to figure out which end is up. You know, you usually will do the roadshow with a new vice president and president of the university. She was relatively new as well. We didn't do that at all. Um, We really got to know the team again over Teams and Zoom and things of that sort. But um, my task here was to build a best practices advancement operation. And, and And it simply wasn't, not by any fault of the people here. It's just not how the university saw the team, funded or supported the team. It was it was just different. Their charge was different before Dr. Wilson got here. And, and so as I was starting to think about how to assemble the team, I knew that the, the, the very first hire I wanted to make was a person coming in who would partner with me on um, team culture and talent management. And so the very first hire I made was a senior director for team culture and talent management. And I was really fretting about this 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 hire because I was thinking, how in the world am I going to get somebody who understands advancement, who who buys into the kind of vision that I'm trying to build, um, but can also you know get some of the HR pieces? And I thought, gosh, I wish you know, I wish Annie would move to El Paso because I know I know her, I know she shares this vision. And then, it, not too long after, it occurred to me. She didn't have to be in El Paso. I don't know how long we're going to be doing this, you know, and and so um, Annie went through the interview process. She had to earn the job and she certainly did. And, you know, here we are three plus years later, we've made, you know, we've doubled the size. Speaking of dogs in the background. Right. Um, We've more than doubled the size of our team. Um, you know, we, we, we built this thing and this shared vision of what we wanted to do. And I think we built something really special. Part of that is, you know, keeping, keeping a hybrid work environment. Um, now I think it would be unwise not to acknowledge the university president here because the university president, I mean, if university president says, Hey, everybody's coming back into the office, everybody's coming back into the office. And we saw that for a lot of different places. There's one very large university I know that had people come back right away and lost more than 60% of their fundraisers. Um, You know, shame on them.
0: So that is such such a clear contrast. And that is why we've seen, you know, the great resignation was even greater in this sector because I think there were situations like that that were... Uh, clearer, stronger, sooner around, um, you know, getting back to the office and I get it. We have campuses like the real estate footprint of a university is a lot different than a tech company and we're selling our students on the values of in-person higher education. And so then are we being inconsistent if if we're not, you know, embracing that for our team but, but then the rubber has hit the road in exactly the way you described. Either there's somebody great who I want to hire, and they're not moving here. Or there's somebody great who I want to retain that's moving. Am I going to let them move? Or are we going to part ways and then go through the whole backfill? Um, so tell me, Annie, as you kind of went through, and I think, you know, Jake, we first met in Missouri, probably a couple of, uh, you know, miles uh, down the road from where Annie is right now. So you yep. all had that rapport, uh, having worked together previously, but uh, did it feel like a leap at the time to sort of work at UTEP in Missouri, or did it feel totally normal, just given the context that we were living through?
1: A bit of both. You know, there was certainly a a part of me that was like, this is going to be interesting. And I actually had one of our teammates on my first trip to El Paso once covid protocols had lifted and it was safe to travel again, who said, like, how are you going to do culture when you don't live here? And I was like, that's a great question. That's totally a fair question. Um, And we had a great conversation about it. A lot of that revolving around what we learned and experienced through the pandemic and how similar to what Jake just said, it would be a a damn shame if we forgot all of those lessons learned and tried to go back to the way it was before. so a little bit of both. it felt a little bit like a how is this gonna work? what would we do? And then also a bit of like, no, we got this. Um, and I think certainly having having everyone going through that collective experience together helped with that of like, well, we're gonna figure it out because we had just figured out how to do how to shift everything else. Um, but the other piece is that I had, previously taken a hiatus from higher ed and worked in the private sector. And so I had seen how culture could be done at some of those larger tech companies and how, um, you know, at that, at that organization, it was fully in person, but we had um, so many employees that they were spread across several buildings. So I had already seen culture be influenced from afar and bringing people together from a variety of different locations and so I knew it could be done. We just had to get creative and keep, you know, keep trying new things.
0: So, so there was a period when when you joined and everything Jake just described where there really wasn't another choice, right? And then we got yes. to a where we had decisions to make and and policies to establish, guidelines to introduce. And Jake, just tell me about like when that started happening as a senior leadership team, clearly you had peers that were told time to get everybody back to the office. Like how did that conversation evolve? And frankly, it's now September 23. Where are you? What is the actual process uh, policy? How do you run the business of advancement at UTEP today? So again, first and foremost,
2: giving credit to president Wilson here who, who has the vice presidents run their business. And so she left it to us to determine. And I'll tell you, it was, it was one of those never ending circular conversations with our executive leadership team, because yeah, we could do work from home, but now we could go back in the office and we felt like that team building was important. We felt like connecting in person with people, those little, little, uh, you know, opportunities to build trust just by opening the door or, you know, hallway conversations. We understood that that was important. We also understood people so desperately wanted to keep the freedom that we had with our hybrid schedule. And, and we had, I mean, hours of conversation around, yeah, but what if we do this? Yeah. But if we do this policy, it could have this effect. Right. But then it wouldn't be fair for that person. I know, but you know, it was on and on and on. And what occurred to me pretty quickly was it would be a heck of a lot easier just to say, you know what, everybody's coming back to the office which is what a lot of people did, but we weren't super interested in doing the easy thing. Um, We wanted to do right by our people. And we thought that that was going to be a hard thing. And we also knew it was going to continue to change and evolve. And so we decided to, we decided to go to uh, a hybrid environment where people were required to be in the office, a minimum of two days a week. They could choose whatever two days, (laughs) obviously if you've got a project or something going on, things will change there. Um, but it, people responded really positively to that. And it was fascinating too, to see how people did, how they approached it with given the freedom to do it. We had around a third of the people come in Monday through Friday, eight to five. We had around a third of the people who were not there one minute past their two days a week. And then for example, like myself, it was kind of all over the place. You know, sometimes I have to be on campus parts of five days. You know, sometimes it's a full day here or or things like that. Sometimes it was just, you know, whatever it was that you needed to do. And our our team loved it. And honestly, there wasn't really anybody else on campus doing that. And so I think this was a sense of pride for our team. It certainly has allowed for the flexibility that, that people like and want. And as a result, we've had, Virtually no regrettable turnover at all. And, you know, I think we're going to keep
0: going. When you say that, I'm like, then why doesn't everybody just do that? I mean, that is the sentence that people want to be able to utter. We spend all this time talking about strategy and technology and data. And, like, look, selfishly, I wish that's what really mattered the most, but it doesn't. Like, the number one thing that matters is recruiting, retaining, and growing talent. Yeah. And all that other stuff is secondary. I believe one of the strongest ways to recruit, retain, and grow talent right now is to be flexible and to embrace hybrid. Yeah. Not every leader likes that narrative right now, so I'm trying to figure out how to navigate it, but Annie, tell me about your experience both uh, being recruited, retained, and now growing in this role, but also helping build out a team and having that talk track, that flexibility in your kind of arsenal, if you will, as it relates to competing... Mm -hmm. With uh, other organizations for the same people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, from a personal experience, I mean, it's phenomenal. I you tell Jake this all the time that, and, and Dr. Wilson too, I, I feel like they have ruined me for other institutions after this. You know, I don't expect to find a university president that's as visionary and also a great human um, or a vice president who's as dedicated to building the culture and the organization prior or before the dollars raised. Um, And so I think from a personal standpoint, absolutely. I've got two young kids. I've got a two-year-old and a three-year-old. Having been a fundraiser before I was starting to think like, what the heck am I going to do as a new mom? And like, I don't want to travel in the way that I was traveling as a fundraiser. I don't really want to move my 30 acre farm uh, across the country anywhere. Like, I'm feeling a little stunted, like, I don't know where and how I'm going to grow in my career. And then lo and behold, this opportunity popped up. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, like, this would have never happened had it not been for um, the pandemic and the shifting of everyone being forced to think how we work doesn't have to be how we've always done it. Now, from a recruitment and a retention standpoint, my goodness, Um, you know, I think, I I know from the candidate pools that we get that our division is one of the most um, sought after divisions in the university, both because of our approach to hybrid and our emphasis and focus on team culture that reputation is, is spreading across the university and within the El Paso community. Um, and, you know, we just finalized a, a search for an AVP for advancement services who will also be remote. And the candidate pool for that search was unbelievable.
0: Tell, compared- me, more Tell me more about that, because that is such a hard role right now. Mm -hmm. It does feel so well-suited to remote, but just, I mean, tell me more about that. We're going to take this clip and share it. I know whatever you're about to say is going to be compelling to other leaders.
1: Sure. So we got the position posted and we had 90 applicants in less than a week and they were stellar applicants. Yeah. And we had, um, we had worked with Aspen Leadership Group to do this search and they just kept getting more and more applicants, and we had started to do first round interviews. And it's like we've got it; like you got to slow your roll. Like there's too many great candidates in this pool.
0: Ooh.
1: It's going to be a challenge for us to interview them all.
0: Tell us their names, Annie. Just kidding. You can't, but I do I want can't. to know now because <laughs> this is like the only, probably one of the only advancement services leadership opportunities that it sounds like you listed it not only as hybrid, but but actually fully remote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it could. Yeah. Yeah,
2: Yeah, it was. And and that's what the people at Aspen said. Look, this was an avalanche of qualified applicants who came in. We did nine first round interviews from people sitting in the same role at bigger schools who've done billion dollar plus campaigns and things of that sort. And some of the people that we didn't advance to final interview, it was just absurd. It was absurd how good they were. And it was just we had a cut above and we had four final candidates in, I would have hired every last one of them. Every single one was outstanding. Um, and, you know, to a person, they said how much they appreciated uh, the the notion that this, this position, which absolutely is suited to be remote, is actually able to be remote. And then when they got here, what we showed them was our emphasis and organizational culture. So yes, there's that openness, there's the hybrid, there's the remote. But then to a person, it was funny because they would say, wow, what you as leaders said was the case was actually, it sounds like was the case. Every person to the person, you know, kind of reinforced what you said, every person that we interviewed with, although the people who would be their direct reports were fully authentic, absolutely felt safe and vulnerable in the conversation. And, you know, it just was a different kind of experience for all of them. Um, and, and, and it was the hardest set of phone calls I've ever had to make in my career telling the people who I desperately wanted to hire that we pick someone else. Um, so I, I think we got really, really lucky with this. But, um, you know, I, I think this is going to be more a common thing if people are able to adopt the kind of hybrid situation or remote situation that we have.
0: So, so let me press on that a little bit, though, because this is where I think there is major nuance between hybrid which means geographic constraints of some form yep. versus remote, which is far more unconstrained. And so uh, how do you think about framework for fully remote versus hybrid based on what you just shared, which is incredibly compelling?
2: I, I wish I could say there was a, a clear framework. Honestly, it's position by position and sometimes it's, you um, I I think with every case we could say, yeah, the person would be more effective if they were physically here just because they would have that collision space, that opportunity to, 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 to run into people, be on campus, see things, feel things. There's no question. Um, But, you know, can the job be done remotely? And I think for most of them, they can. Um, We recently hired an AVP for development and I think that job probably needed to be here, you know, meeting with the deans, being on campus, being seen. Um I I think that that needed to be an on campus job. We've had somebody in corporate and foundation relations which based on how we at UTEP are doing CFR, pro- person probably needed to be here, but we we look at every single position. Um and I say this about Annie all the time. I mean Annie Annie would be more effective if she was able to be here. There is no question. And if I tried to go to market for an Annie, I think the best I would do is half as good. And so, you know, when you weigh when you weigh the cost benefit of, of these kinds of things, you know, we would not have gotten the pool that we had gotten if um, if if we were rigid about the the advancement services position. So I, I, it's position by position, um, and frankly, I think it's a tremendous advantage because it seems to me. And tell me, Brent, if you think I'm wrong about this. I think I think organizations are going away from hybrid now in a way that kind of surprises me. And we're going to stay hybrid. There is no question. We will consider remote, but but I think it's shrinking, those opportunities are shrinking more and more.
0: I just saw something in the Wall Street Journal this week. It was like for the third consecutive year, this is the fall we're returning to office allegedly. Right? And 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 it's just going to, you know, in the end it's You know, there's macroeconomic factors. How strong is the job market, local job market? Um, But without a doubt, uh, every data point we've seen shows there is a massive level of interest in remote relative to in-office and then significant level of interest in hybrid relative to full-time in-office. In In fact, um, there was a recently an EAB report that showed that 66% of frontline folks prefer hybrid work, uh, 20% preferring fully remote work. That contrasts with today, there are around 600 major gift job postings on LinkedIn and less than 2% of those postings are remote, uh, around 15% hybrid, which contrasts with almost half of the enterprise sales jobs on LinkedIn right now supporting hybrid or remote. So it feels like we've always had this tension of we're competing with the sales sector but we've got a mission and if you want to do something that matters more you can you know you can find that here which is true but you're gonna maybe get paid less than you would in that world mm-hmm. and you're also gonna have to come to the office five days week. it's just like ah you know who yes. are really willing to say yes i'm willing to sacrifice both flexibility and compensation because I really love that mission. I mean, let's be honest, it's just not, we're not doing ourselves much of a favor and that leads to 60% turnover on more than one team out there right now. What do you think, Annie?
1: I could not agree more. And the other component to that is the way that our inflexibility impacts the demographics and the marginalized communities in our sector in particular. You know, there's plenty of research that you can go out and find on Google about how hybrid and remote has been beneficial, not only for caregivers and mothers in particular, but also for individuals who identify with a marginalized identity and I think that's something that our sector and our industry in particular has struggled with. How do we bring more diversity to our industry? How do we recruit and retain? And this is a perfect opportunity and this is a perfect tool to have in our toolbox to to use for that. Um, So that's another component.
0: We have hired people who are both six foot 11 and four foot 11 over the last two years And none of us had any idea until it came up in a fact, icebreaker, or we saw each other at an in-person event and we're like, whoa, not what Mm -hmm. I meant." And that is like such a kind of funny way, but like that is the kind of implicit bias that, you know, has governed work and promotions and all these things. And I'm not going to suggest that there's still not bias and we have a long way to go on that front, but it is amazing how many um kind of uh, things that that are you know that are unseen can create more of an equalizing experience for people
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah uh tell me about I mean I I do wonder sometimes it's like where if we just went and dreamed really big like where could this go you've got uh my sources indicate over 2000 alumni in Mexico you've got 1500 alumni in Egypt so there must be some kind of pipeline or history there like is there a future state where we've got somebody as like a global 1099 type contractor embedded in Egypt, just like rep in UTEP? You can say I, no.
2: I'll say that that was news to me. I actually had no idea we had 1500 alums in, in. Now, if you'd said Bhutan, I would say yes, because we have quite the pipeline of students from Bhutan. There are more uh, UTEP degrees for people in Bhutan than any other school in the nation. Also Mexico, but Mexico makes a little bit more sense. Um, but Egypt's a little surprise to me. So that's interesting.
0: So let's, let's riff on Bhutan then. Like could there be a future state where we've just got somebody who's, who's in Bhutan and you'd need to figure out philanthropy and capacity and all of those sorts of things, but it's, it's more, uh, you know, or, or we can ignore those, uh, and, and make it a little bit more uh, realistic, which is, you know should we have somebody embedded in austin should we have somebody embedded in arizona are there are other markets where we would just and by the way this is where you know even if you're in a traditional 5 day a week office format in a for profit company they likely had sales reps spread out all over the country as well and and we just haven't had that in the advancement sector we've had like alumni chapters all over the country but we fly out back and forth from Columbia or El Paso or wherever, at least historically, tell me more about your thoughts on, on where this could go.
2: I think it just, it, there's two things. It depends entirely on the person you hire and how willing and able you are to support them in the role. I've worked at places where we had people who were remote a couple hours away from campus and those two, it, it didn't, it didn't work out And the, the prevailing, dialogue was, yeah, remote just doesn't work. And I, I thought that was just absurd. Y- you know, w- we weren't paying for their internet. We weren't paying for even office furniture. We weren't, y- you know, we just weren't providing the kind of support. And frankly, I think we didn't get the hires right. Y- you know, I-, I think if you hire the right person and you provide them support, it can work anywhere, anywhere. And there are some, like I said with Annie, yeah, Annie would be about 15% more effective if she were in El Paso, but I would take her any day of the week. You know, um, I think one of the things that was remarkable, again, you're talking about the person, right? And her job was talent management team culture. She went out of her way to make sure her team understood that she was present. She she would build in time over Zoom or over Teams to to really connect with the human and, and help them to understand, even though she wasn't physically there, that she cared deeply about them as humans. And, you know, the adage is, is true. Nobody cares what you know unless they know that you care. And, and Annie was able to demonstrate clearly that she cared, but she had to work at it. She had to be cognizant of, okay, this is, I have to account for for this, this you know, lack of, of in-person kind of time with these, these people. And she did. And we've had other people who haven't been able to do that right? And they were less successful. And so it's it's really all about the the people and, and how you want to support them.
0: No, and, and I think the word that comes to mind is in intentionality. Because when you're in a remote setting, which I am as well, you cannot take anything for granted. You're not going to get the random hallway discussions or the fun happy hour from time to time or as many of the tailgates or whatever it may be. So Annie, what do you do uh, either individually or as you think about creating culture in a remote and hybrid team that maybe Uh, you found to be successful that others could learn from who are listening?
1: Yeah. You know, so to Jake's point, a lot of it was that making time and space in my calendar to have, you know, just to get to know you components of conversations, whether that's the, you know, making sure there would be time in a regularly scheduled one-on-one or those kinds of conversations to just, you know, check in. How's your partner you know, what's going on in your house or like just the life stuff that happens, right? Remembering some of those little details is can go a really long way, especially when you are remote. Um, But then the other component and the the thing that I think is important to point out, Brent, is when we talk about being fully remote, it's not like I'm never there, right? I do travel to campus and our um, ADP for Advancement Services will be traveling to campus. So while we do not live in El Paso, Um, there is still an expectation that you do go. And so Mm. one of the other components is as soon as it was safe to travel again, I did kind of front load my travel. Um, I also was about to have a second baby. So I front loaded my travel there. Um, But so I came to campus more regularly. And another key component to that is when we are in person, we are doing things and having conversations and spending that time in a way that we cannot do when we are remote. And so as a consequence, when I'm on campus, if HR or budget wants to have a meeting, which all happen over over teams anyway, because most of campus, like cross-campus meetings are happening virtually, I push those two when I'm back at, in Missouri, because I want to spend that time in person with the team doing the things that are better done in person, those yeah. brainstormings, that strategy, like- yeah. I don't need project updates I like, let's dig into the stuff. Let's get out the whiteboard. Let's, you know, that sort of work that, um, just it it works a little better when you're in person.
0: No, we're working on a retreat right now to bring our team together. We're spread out over 35 States. And, uh, my my one thing is we are not going to do things we can do on zoom. Like let's do things we can't do when we're getting the team together with those rare, those rare moments. Um, and, just tell me a little bit, I love seeing in your pre-questionnaire, uh, just some of the names of, you know, who's mentored whom and so forth, but you've already referenced Aspen Leadership Group, uh, Jake. Don Hasseltine is somebody that I met when I was an alumni volunteer at Brown when he was leading development there. So we've gone way back and have enjoyed connecting over the years. How do you uh, partner with a firm like Aspen most effectively and how do you sort of, you um, uh, both provide them feedback and, and get advice from them as it relates to should this be remote versus hybrid? I mean, how has that kind of relationship changed as you've gone through this experience? Mm. Uh,
2: so I, the way I feel about mentoring is you can't sign up and say, I am going to be your mentor, right? There has to be a connection, just a human connection. And um you know, I met Don working on there was a search project and I was not a successful candidate, but there, he and I made a connection there and just since then he's, he's really been a coach and, and a friend, a dear friend. So how that works for me is I've got somebody with whom I can be completely and totally vulnerable and say, Hey, I think I screwed this up or man, I was not my best self To and to which he'd respond. Yeah, you weren't. You know, what was going on there? Can you talk to me about this or that? And, in and, and I just think it's that trust and vulnerability and he, he can be the same way, you know, he'll send me, Hey, you've got this article. What do you think? Love it. Probably two paragraphs too long. Yeah, I thought so. You know, it's, um, we care deeply to, to we're, we're driven by the same things, I guess you could say, we just, this pursuit of excellence, always wanting to grow and be better, and we know that about each other. We we're cheering each other on. We've got each other's backs, and I think it's just that. It's honestly, it's just that personal connection. There are people who've come into my lives, who, who my life, who, you know, again for whatever reason, we just made that connection, and and you know. Well, that, we are
0: immediately reaching out to Don, and he will be a new uh, future guest. We're overdue, anyways. This is just a great reminder, so we'll get him on here, get his side of this story, and maybe some of the broader trends that that they're seeing. Uh, and so, w- would love your take, An- Annie. I saw Jenna Goodman and Nancy Jackson, who I both I just got to spend time with at the Big Twelve Development Conference in Lawrence, Kansas, in May. About five seconds before uh, Nancy ended up joining uh the KU and in, in down yeah. association, um, but have have gotten to know her better and and just had a chance to host uh Jenna uh on the podcast as well. How have you worked with them? What are the lessons that uh you've drawn from from their work? Certainly. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, um my time with Jenna and Nancy goes back to when I was at the University of Missouri and um like I mentioned, I was going through that whole, I don't know what I'm going to do after being a fundraiser. And I tried to pitch like, will you hire me? Um, and they weren't quite ready for that yet. But I loved their work and their approach to supporting fundraisers. It was fresh. It was humanistic. It was authentic to them and not some of the same stuffy um consulting groups that I had seen try and train up fundraisers. And I, I loved that approach. Um, they also were podcasting and I was a early fundraiser and my, you know, trying to hustle and I was on the road every other week and I was constantly looking for podcasts. And I was like, man, I love this. I love this as a resource. We need to have more of these accessible with the times um, sort of trainings and resources and advancement. And so, um, so yeah, I've been a, been a big fan of Nancy and Jenna for a long time. And then the other component that they bring to our industry that I love is supporting women in their leadership growth and their leadership development. And that's been something that, you know, we've engaged with them um, at UTEP in a variety of capacities, but I also just reach out to them personally as well, you know, and after becoming a mom and trying to think through how to balance work and life and these new identities, um, they've just been fantastic mentors and friends, even though to Jake's point, I don't think I ever said like, will you be my mentor? Um, It just is that, that personal connection and that, um, just that go-to reference.
0: I think it's a reminder that everybody listening, if you're not sure who your sounding board is that you can be honest with, you got to find that person. Very few people are able to succeed and lead and grow without being able to have that sort of transparent uh, person that you can just riff on a variety of topics with. And I think you both just summarized that really well. Um, I know we're at time, maybe a couple minutes late, but let me just uh, kick it to you to bring us home. Uh, both as it relates to what you're building at UTEP? I mean, how can folks learn more and uh, get in touch with each of you? And then, I don't know, any closing thoughts? Uh, I'll I'll start with you, Annie.
1: Sure. Best place to get me is probably going to be on LinkedIn. Um, You can just find me at Annie Quaddy. Otherwise, you are always more than welcome to reach out to us via email and see what we're doing online. Um, All of our Emails are are public on UTEP's website, so you can find it there. Um, Yeah, I'm eager and excited to have people reach out and hear more about what we're doing. It's been an incredible ride. I like to liken the experience that we've had at UTEP to that of a startup in the sense of, of building and growing it at a really rapid pace. Um, And sometimes that's something that's really attractive to candidates and other times there's folks that are like nope I want my like very stable this is my box keep me in my in my box kind of environment and we're not
0: that. Love it Jake tell me uh, your perspective bring it home you've already referenced Dr Wilson's leadership and the growth that you all have experienced what are you excited about in the coming years and how can folks learn more.
2: Uh, you know, one of the things that I love most about our industry is that we really aren't competing with each other. And, and so it's such an open industry where we share all sorts of things, great ideas. It, the camaraderie is high. Um, sometimes, weirdly, it's not like that within your own department, which is absurd to me. Um, And, and, you know, I care deeply to make this industry better and I care deeply to, to grow myself. And I think we all do that. And I think this comes from everywhere on the org chart. You know, I learn something every day from, from people, no matter where they are. And hopefully they learn a few things from me. Um, But yeah, uh, I would say, please, if you'd like to engage with me, I'm on LinkedIn as well. I'm also not hard to find the email um, our stated goal is to be the best advancement operation in the nation to work for. And, you know, that's something that doesn't have a clear thing that we will check the box and say, we achieve, we will always strive for that. And so if you're interested in learning more or being a part of it, just reach out because um, it's a great
0: place. and
2: And I'm really proud of the team
0: that we're building. I'm glad you said that, Jake, I was going to say it. If you didn't, I read the article in El Paso Inc and would recommend others. Uh, look that up if you want to learn more about what Jake is excited about and specifically what's going on uh, in UTEP Advancement. I just want to thank you both very much for, uh, A, kind of your willingness to learn and try new things, and and then B, your uh, quick willingness to come on the podcast and share with others. And it's not an easy topic, and I don't think any of us are pretending that we've got it all figured out, but I do hope that uh, in the midst of all the talent challenges that we hear about on a daily basis among our peers in the sector, that more folks will lean into some of the um, really clear <laughs> ROI stories that you just shared on on the podcast. Cool. Uh, so with that, I'm gonna wrap up today's episode uh, featuring both Jake Logan and Annie Quaddy from the University of Texas at El Paso. Uh, thank you both, and take care, everybody.
2: Thanks, Brent.